When you get ready, let's, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to jump back into Matthew 6. We've been digging into the Lord's Prayer because we want to learn to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. For those of you who've been with us, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, a lot of us wonder, you know, how do I pray? How should I pray? Uh, how is it that, 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 that I approach God when I approach God? You know, what's the right way to pray? And the disciples asked Jesus the same thing. In fact, there's more than one place where he talks about it. One time is on the Sermon on the Mount. Another time is what we call the Sermon on the Plains. One time he just put it in the middle of his sermon. The other time the disciples asked him, you know, Lord, how do we pray? Teach us like John taught his disciples. Do you know, Jesus said a prayer and he said, pray in this way. And he prayed what we, most of us know now as the Lord's Prayer. And he wasn't saying, repeat this prayer every time you pray. He was saying, this is how you pray. And in that prayer that he prayed it are the roots of everything else we pray. I mean, it, it is the way we pray. And so there's different types of prayer. I don't, how many of you have kids that are downstairs, um, in, like the older kids, uh, ages 7 to grade 6? Yeah, yeah? Awesome. They're learning about prayer. They're learning stuff like you may go, I, I didn't know that. I asked my son, what did you learn? We learned about the prayer of consecration. Oh. If I took a quiz right now, don't get nervous because I'm not going to. But if I took a quiz right now and said, who knows what a prayer of consecration is? Everybody would be like, uh, uh, there's mosquitoes up there on the ceiling. You know, you'd, there's a lion in the streets. You'd, you'd be distracted. They're learning about prayer because there's a lot to prayer. There's not only one type of prayer. There's not only one way, like, you know, when I pray, I should say this or I should say that. Uh, throughout the scripture, there's a lot of different types of prayer, and, and they're all important. But in this prayer that Jesus prayed, there's a reason Jesus didn't say to them, hey, guys, there's tons of different ways to pray. I don't know where to start. You'll just have to stick with me, and maybe you'll pick something up. There's a reason he said, all right, let me show you, and he prayed one prayer. He prayed one prayer. That prayer didn't solve everything. That prayer didn't fix everything. But that prayer taught them these are the valuable things. This is what prayer is about. Last week we talked about that, that, that start, that beautiful beginning to the prayer. Our Father. And, and that is, that's, that's way bigger than we give it credit for. And, and it was something as we talked about throughout the Gospels that people tripped over was you know, really thinking of God as your father was revolutionary in a lot of ways. Many of them, uh, many of the religious leaders that listened to Jesus were kind of okay with saying God is our father as, in a, in a big sense, like in a nation sense. But the idea that Jesus said he's my father was really troubling for them. It was something that made them want to kill him. And when he talks to his disciples at the end of John, he says, you know, I... I showed you who the Father was. I revealed the Father to you. That One of the things that they walked away with more than anything else was that they knew who God was. They knew who he was as Father because that's what Jesus showed them. Last week I told you that Jesus, as far as I can tell in the Gospels, he, I can't find a prayer he prayed to God that he didn't start with, our father, with Father. He started every prayer with Father. That's who he talked to. That was his relationship, and that's the relationship he gave you with God. The book of John starts out with that beautiful statement, to all that believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. 
You see, every one of us on the planet is God's creation. And in a sense, you know, as Paul talked to the Athenians about, that that, 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 that means that we're all his children and, and that we're all his creation. But it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, speak of the greatness of that relationship until you begin to understand that we were separated from God and through the blood of Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, we became more than just his creation. We were brought back to the relationship we were supposed to have as sons and daughters of the living God. Father speaks to relationship. Father speaks to commitment. Father speaks to almost a sense of I'm yours and you're mine. When you start talking personal about God that way, religious spirit gets riled up. Got riled up when Jesus talked about God that way. Right? When Jesus talked about God that way, people hated him for it. Today, even today, if you seem a little bit too intimate with God, if you talk about God a little too closely, people think, who do you think you are? And I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people that, you know, our brothers and sisters might get offended. Who do you think you are? I, I would tell you, I, I, what I think I am and who I think I am is even hard for me to grasp because who I think I am is who he said I was. And that's pretty big. It's pretty big to think I'm a child of God. It's pretty big to think I'm a son. It's pretty big to think I'm an heir to his kingdom. Yeah. That, that even hurts my brain a little bit. But it doesn't mean I can't believe it. Right. It doesn't mean I can't say it. Right. At some point, you got to start agreeing with God. Right? Yeah. Let's just settle it right now. At some point, you got to start agreeing with God. Yeah. Right? Can we just put that on a t-shirt? Yeah. Yes? <laughs> We got a guy who makes t-shirts right here. A rhetorical question becomes a very practical question. Absolutely we can. Well, that leads in nicely to the next thing he's going to say. Jesus, and like I've done every week, I'm going to read the whole thing to you, and then we're going to focus on one part of it. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Going back to that verse 9. This is Matthew 6, 9. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Quick poll. How many this week have used the word hallowed? Anybody? Okay. Nobody. How many of you have heard someone use it? Besides church, hallowed. All right. So we might say, well, it's an old word. Nobody talks like that anymore. And, and you got a point. But it's also that our culture doesn't really think of anything as hallowed. We don't think of a lot of things as holy. That's not in style right now. We're all about tearing down the sacred things, and bringing them into the common. Hallowed, I used to translate this holy is your name, but that's not what it says. There's a reason we use the word hallowed, as, as awkward of a word as it is, because we, it's not really part of our English language anymore. It's, it's a really good word for it. 
The reason is, is because I used to read this prayer and I used to try to simplify it and say, holy is your name. But there are, there are two distinct parts to this prayer that Jesus prays with three, three parts to each of those two sections. The first section talks a lot about big things. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's, that's the first thing he asks. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So those are big things, right? Those are big, global, world-changing things. And then it turns kind of personal, right? It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? So now the first three things are big. They're global. They're talking about God and God's kingdom. The next three things are a bit more personal, right? Give us what we need to live. Take, you know, so that we can, we can live and, and, and breathe and, and have our being and, 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 and forgive us and, and as we forgive others. And, it, you know, then we go on to leading us not to temptation, but delivering us from evil. Now we're part of that prayer. And so when you think of it that way, uh, uh, I used to think of the first part of this prayer as, as, you know, things that we were saying about God. God, your name is holy, right? A statement and a proclamation, an exclamation. This is, God, holy is your name. But that's not exactly what it says. And if you're ready for a quick 30-second Greek lesson. There's Greeks right here, so I'm real nervous about this. I won't even actually say actual Greek words. Put on your nerd glasses. We're going to focus for a second. These, this first sentence, hallowed be your name, is not an exclamation, is not saying your name is holy. It's what's called a third person imperative. So what you're saying is it's actually a request. It's actually you're saying, Lord, this needs to happen. Let it happen. We don't have a phrase like that in English. We don't have a way to express a third person imperative, right? So let me give you another example. Uh, Peter says, let everyone who hears this, let, let them repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. What he's saying is, this needs to happen, guys. Right. We sing that song, Joy to the World. Let every heart prepare him room. What we're saying, we're not saying allow every heart. We're not saying I'll let your heart prepare him room. You're saying let every heart. You're saying this needs to happen. You guys need to open your hearts. Yeah. So I'm saying open your hearts. In English, if we were to translate that, it would just sound like you were dumb. You know, if, you, if I said to my son, you know, in a third part, person imperative, if I said to him, you know, him clean his room, he'd think, did you hit your head? You know, <laughs> him clean his room. You know, I, I just sound cavemanish. <laughs> then again, if I said, let him clean his room, then I would sound like a little too regal, like who are you trying to be, right? When Jesus prays this, Everything he prays is a request, is a petition. The requests and the petitions don't start at the second half. They start right at the beginning. So when he says, hallowed be your name, what's he saying? He's not just saying your name is holy. He's saying, let your name be revered as holy. Let, it let your name be held as holy. Let it be honored as holy. Let it be seen as holy. Let it be holy in us. Let it be holy all over the world. He is praying that God's name would be lifted, that God's name would be held in its proper regard, respect, and reverence. And that's a big prayer. And I used to skip over this part, just get to the chunky stuff. This is just the introduction. 
This just, to me, I, I used to read it like, like, like those, those guys in, you know, in, in the king's court that you'd see in movies. And they'd be like, you know, good and rightful king, master of the five lands and the empires and the seas. You know, I just thought it was a nice introduction. But it's not. It's the first thing he's asking for. And you might think, well, that's special. That's nice. But I would propose to you that everything else he's going to pray in this prayer leads back to that. That one of the greatest things in life is that God's name would be holy and honored and lifted high. And everything else we're asking for leads to that cause. When I ask for my daily bread, I need to live. Now there's two sides of daily bread. We're just, there's the food we eat and there's the spiritual daily bread, right? But let's just assume for a moment that he's talking about your, just your basic needs. I'm asking God for my basic needs. Why? Well, first of all, he cares for you. Secondly, when, if you're not alive, it's pretty hard to hallow his name. It's pretty hard to lift his name. So you need to be alive. You need to be taken care of. I need to be forgiven. I need to know I'm forgiven. I need to be able to forgive others. I need to be not only forgiven, but I need to be sanctified like he's sanctified. I need to be holy as he's holy, so I need to be delivered from temptation. In doing so, I'm going to lead back to that first thing, making his name great, being part of who he is. Let's talk about names for a minute. Because to us, we say, you know, oh, the name of Jesus. We're just saying, what a beautiful name. And you might be like, well, it's an okay name. It's no Gloria. only two syllables. See, we think of name as a couple of, you know, some sounds that we make to call somebody. But, but in the scripture and in, in, in ancient times, a name was not just the word you used to call somebody. A name was everything they were. It's, it's their reputation. It's their authority. It's who they are. Yeah. We just think, well, you know, we're, we're, when we think name, we think of what you sign your checks with. So, you know, when I used to pray, I, you know, we used to say, we used, you know, I was taught from a young age that to pray in the name of Jesus because that's how we were taught to pray in the Bible. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name, you know, use the name of Jesus. And, and, and when I first heard it, I just thought that meant you were supposed to say in the name of Jesus at the end of whatever you prayed. Lord, help the white caps win one game in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Lord, kill my enemies, slay them in Jesus' name. Well, I never prayed that. Don't worry. <laughs> but if I had, would it have worked? Why? Because that's not in the name of Jesus. Just because you use that name at the end like some sort of open sesame abracadabra doesn't mean your prayer was in his name. In his name means pray what I want to pray. Pray what I would pray. Pray in my authority, but also pray based on who I am. Pray as if you're me. Yeah. And you might say, well, I can't pray as if I'm Jesus. Well, that's what it means to pray in his name. Nobody thinks you're Jesus. Don't worry. Well, somebody's, you know, somebody's a little nervous that, that we're saying you're Jesus. No, but Christ in you is the hope of glory. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're supposed to pray what he would pray. That's how you know you're praying in his name. That's why he taught us how to pray. So when I, his name represents everything he is. So... If we're praying, God, may your name be holy, may it be honored, may it be reverenced. 
are we just, what are we speaking of? Are we speaking of God? Or are we speaking of Yahweh? Or are we saying Jesus? What name are we talking about? Now, I, I would say to you that all those names are to be held as, as holy. But that's not really the point. Jesus isn't asking that the name Yahweh would be honored, even though that it should be. He's asking that everything God is, everything he represents, would be held as holy. What does holy mean? Holy means separate, distinct. It's clean. It's pure. Holy means it's different than everything else. What happens if God's name isn't held as holy? I want you to consider what's included in his name. Who is he? Who's this God that we worship? Is he an angry old man? Is he, is he, is he uh, somebody who, who's just, you know, got, got crazy mood swings and, and one day he likes you and one day he hates you? Who is God? Is he a distant king? Is he a, is he a great, great grandpa? Who, who is this God that we worship? When I say, God, who are you? What's he going to say back to me? What are we honoring when we honor God? Well, I think we're honoring, number one, that he's the creator, right? He's the creator of all things. He, everything came from him. But you also need to say what the scripture says. He is the father of lights. And every good and perfect thing comes from him. So every goodness, love, goodness, truth, everything that we hold as good is him. That's where it comes from. Everything good comes from him. If you want to know where joy comes from, it's him. Love, it's him. You know, every, peace, it's him. Everything that humanity is looking for, it's him. And there's a reason. Because we were created to want him. We were created to need him. And because of that, we understand there's something on the inside of us that says there is good in this world. Yeah. But it didn't come from us. It came from him. Right. He is the sunlight. He is the source of it all. And when I believe that, when I know that, then my view of these things doesn't get twisted because the problem is, is that we start with good things and then it's like a game of telephone. We start with, this is what love is, and you get down the, 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 uh, the, the line of telephone, this is what love is, this is what love is, and, and pretty soon you've got someone saying, disco muffins, that's what they heard. This is what love is turned to disco muffins. How'd that happen? How did love become selfish? Because the love that God shows us is totally selfless. It lays its life down. It's pure. It's good. It doesn't seek its own. It rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in righteousness. But if you were to say, what's love? Oh, man. I can't say those words without three songs popping in your head. So please. <laughs> Control yourself, people, in the house of the Lord. All right, if I hear Tina Turner, if I hear, if I hear what is love, baby, don't hurt me. If I hear any of that stuff, ushers are going to come and get you and usher you out. Oh, I've done the very thing I was fighting against. All right. If you were to ask the world what love looks like. Lord, help me get them back. <laughs> help me get them back, Lord. Draw them in by your spirit. If you were to ask the world, what does love look like? What is love? You get a lot of definitions of it. 
Go to Netflix, search love. See what pops up. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Rhonda's right. Don't actually do but, but if you did, you'd find a lot of versions of love that look nothing like God. They're selfish. It's abusive. It's perverted. It's twisted. Why? You know, we used to have, I don't know, how many of you were around, how many of you were in church back when we used to get the sermons on cassette tape? Hallelujah. There was a special anointing on cassettes, I tell you. (laughs) These youngins don't know it with their podcasts, but oh, there was something on that cassette. No, there wasn't, but (laughs) I worked sound for a, a period of my life. I worked in the sound booth and we had, we recorded on cassette. Some of you have heard me say this before, but when my dad was pastor, every now and then we'd get what we called a two-taper. <laughs> two-taper, two-taper was a tough one for nursery workers and children's workers. But it was beauty for us in the sound department. A two-taper was powerful. If you got out at noon back then, somebody was hurt. Something was wrong. Was God in the service? I don't think so. We got out at noon. I don't think God showed up. Pizza Hut buffet was still open. Something's wrong. But we'd have... (laughs) You'd record everything on a tape or two. And then we had tape duplicators, right? Okay. Now, this tape duplicator would take your master tape and it would copy on, you know, we had like 10 tapes at a time. You always, we wrote in big capital letters, master. You always made a copy from the master. Because every time, it was analog, so every time you copied a cassette, it lost a little quality. So if you took the copy and made a copy from that, which some of you did because you're dirty, rotten bootleggers, but <laughs> no, I, I mean, sermon, that was fine. We told people to copy sermons. We want the word to get out. But some of you were making copies of your Petra tapes and your Michael W. Smith and your Sandy Patties. I know you did it. But you made a copy of a copy, and then your friend says, let's make a mixtape. So you made a copy of a copy. <laughs> And I was king of mixtapes. I know that world, right? And so you make a copy of a copy of a copy. Every time you made a copy, it lost quality. Until, you know, I'd have these tapes that I, mixtapes that I'd put together that nobody ever listened to, but I had them. And, and the quality was so bad, you would have been better listening to a radio in a bunker. You know, it was not good quality. You always were supposed to make a copy from the master, the original. So it didn't lose as much quality. Well, now the cool thing is with digital, we can make infinite copies and it doesn't lose any quality because it's just numbers, right? It's not an actual physical recording. It's just encoded into something digital. So you can make lots of copies. We can listen a million times on iTunes. It doesn't matter. But here's the deal. We have the source of life and love and good and truth and everything that's right. And the further we get from that, the more perverted and distorted our version of all those things becomes. Sex was created to be good. How did it become what it's become to so many people? Marriage was created to be good. 
How did it become abusive? Growing something in a garden was supposed to be good. It still is. But we've taken, we've taken the idea of growing and sowing and reaping and we've turned it into so many times we've, we've cheated each other when we grow those things. We've, not you guys, we've, we've thought that good business was ripping someone off. How did that become that way? How did any of this become this way? And the answer is, is because we thought as long as we try to be good, we'll be good. As long as we try to love, we'll love. As long as we try to honor truth, we'll honor truth. But without God, you don't know what any of those things are. The further we get from it, we don't know what truth is. So talk to somebody about truth these days. Go out in there into Lloyd Minster and ask them, what is truth? And people will say, it's different for everybody. It's different. I don't know what truth is. My truth, your truth. Why? Because we have no objective north star. We have no source of truth. Until you look back at God. When we talk about his name, it's everything that he is. It's everything that he is. When God is reverenced, everything he represents is honored. When God is honored in a nation, the things he represents are honored. When God is honored in a family, what he represents is honored. And the people who bear his image are honored. I mean, one of the things that one of the reasons that the first commandment was to have no other gods, was to keep his name holy, was the second. These, 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 these first commandments were the big ones. And if you kept those, love the Lord your God and, and honor him and keep his name holy, then all those other ones would work. You wouldn't murder someone because you bear the image of God. So I honor you. And I wouldn't kill you because I love you. You wouldn't steal. You wouldn't commit adultery. You wouldn't covet. All of these things would come into line. You remove God from that. We, we find our own solutions. And, and at the end of the day, we find something that serves us. When Darwin put out his idea that his theory of evolution and that we were all a, a cosmic mistake, really, a, a series of accidents... Eventually, there had to be some philosophical side to that because we came into the, the question of, well, are we all random? Is there any point to life? Nietzsche, a German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche came along and said, God is dead. There is no God. He took what Darwin scientifically theorized and he put it into philosophy and he said, it is about survival of the fittest and the best thing we can do it's for the strong to dominate the weak. It's for the, the mighty to overcome. That's how our species will propagate. That's how society will work. So he preached, or not preached, but put out the idea that the best thing in, in the world, the best thing for us as humans, was that the strong would dominate the weak. He, he was a pastor's son, but he became an atheist. And he said Christianity messes it all up. But Christianity elevates the weak. Christianity shows us that we're supposed to love those beneath us. We're supposed to take care of them. We're, the first shall be last, last shall be first. He felt that that messed with his idea of the way the world worked. It's not too far of a leap for a guy named Hitler to come along and say, well, if that's true, because Nietzsche came up with the idea of an ubermensch, a superman, a super race, 
There's got to be somebody that's better than everybody else. The best thing for us is to make more of that guy. Hitler took it to the further conclusion and said, okay, we are those ubermensch. We're the master race. Best thing we can do is purify ourselves, purify our country of all these untermensch, of all these, these undesirables. You might say, well, you're, you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. I know people in my university today that read the writings of Nietzsche, and they don't go gas a bunch of people. Yeah, I get it, but I'm just saying, let's be honest about it. These are the conclusions we draw. When we eliminate God, that's how we treat each other because we're no more than beasts. You eliminate God, who are you? You're just an animal that evolved. You eliminate God, mankind is not special. Mankind's just a little bit more intelligent. So we go back to the ways of animals. Romans 1 says that that's exactly what happened when we forgot who our creator was and failed to give him honor and glory. When we stop honoring God, it says here's what's going to happen. He'll turn you over to your own thoughts, your own mind, the futility of your own mind. You'll start worshiping other gods. You'll start worshiping uh, uh, things that you can make or things that you can see. You'll start worshiping created things rather than the creator. And he says when that happens, everything else goes with it. Everything else gets twisted and perverted. Everything gets broken in a society. Maybe we should just skip so quickly over hallowed be your name. Because I really believe that's one of the central points, if not the central point of existence, is that his name would be honored and glorified. When his name is honored and glorified, everything fits. Everything makes sense. When you start to realize he's the center your universe has its order. Come on, guys, think about it. If you had a lawnmower, somebody gave you a lawnmower and you had no idea what a lawnmower was. Somebody gave you and your neighbor a lawnmower, said, praise the Lord, here's a gift to you. But you didn't know what it was. First of all, where you been? But second of all, okay, let's just pretend you didn't know what it was. Your neighbor's an idiot. Your neighbor is trying to use it to cut his kid's hair. That's a bad move. And you go, ha, 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 my neighbor's so stupid. But here's what a lawnmower's probably for. It's for trimming my hedges. So you turn it on its side, and it kind of works, right? You lost a couple fingertips, but you know it's working. You're, you're trimming your hedges with a lawnmower. You're lifting it up. Hey, give me a hand, son. No, I'm not giving you any hand. I gave you a finger. And, you know, you're trying to... What's this thing for? And, and you start asking yourselves, why doesn't it work like it should? Why wasn't it designed better? This thing makes no sense. Whoever made this a moron, whoever made this didn't know what they were doing. Why? Because you're using it for the wrong thing. You've missed its purpose. You've missed what it's supposed to be. That's what life is like when we forget why we're here. We wonder why it doesn't work. We wonder why it doesn't make sense. We wonder why nothing seems, like, why are we created this way? Because when you don't have him at the center, we seem terribly out of order. But when the creator tells you who you are, and the creator said, this is why I made you, oh my goodness, it makes sense. Somebody in the world decided that the reason we are here is to make, you know, get as much gold and jewels into our dragon cave and hoard it, and this is why we're here. And when they get it, they're sadder than the rest of us because they found out what I thought was the purpose of life was nothing. It didn't do what I thought it was supposed to do. You're that guy with the lawnmower thinking it was made to trim a hedge. But when the man who designed you, he's not a man, he's God. 
When the God who designed you tells you who you are, tells you why you're here, everything changes. I want you to read something with me, if, if you could. In Psalm 39, Sorry, I mean Psalm 36, forgive me. Psalm 36 and verse 5. Maybe you're thinking, listen, this is all well and good, but I want something practical I can go home with. First of all, I get it, because I believe the word is meant to be lived out, not just heard. Second of all, sometimes when we say that, we look for the lowest common denominator. It's okay to hear about big things that you don't fully comprehend how to put into action quite yet. Because this is one of those things, if you'll get this, it'll change everything you do in life. If you say, may God's name be magnified. May the Lord's name be honored. Isaiah prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, we wait for you. Eagerly our souls wait for you. For your name... And your renown are the desire of our hearts. Do you know how many times in the Psalms, in fact, if you want to do a a search on your iPad or your computer, do a search in the book of Psalms for your name. See what comes up. Do you know how many times the psalmist would pray, deliver me, Lord, for your name's sake? Rescue me because of your name. He says, all who delight in your name, this is what happens. He's not just talking about Yahweh. He's not just talking about a sound. He's talking about all those who delight in who you are and everything you are and and all you represent. You'll save me because that's who you are. You'll deliver me because that's who you are. In Ezekiel, God paints a picture. He says, you guys broke the house I gave you. You broke the land I gave you. You defiled it. But I'm going to rebuild it. He says, I'm going to rebuild it. I'm going to, I'm going to give you what, what the ruined places that the enemy armies came in and burned down. I'm going to make them like the Garden of Eden. I'm going to bring your sons and daughters home. I'm going to re-inhabit this place. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be better than it ever was. And he says, I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it for my name. We think sometimes that being self-centered is the best thing for us, but it's not. Because self-centered is actually, I know when you think self-centered, you think of that guy who thinks, that guy or that girl that thinks that they're everything, that they're God's gift to humanity, but the end of the road for self-centered is, is actually a great sense of guilt and shame, and it leaves you in a cycle of knowing you're not enough and being frustrated by it. And if you were self-centered, you'd say, there's no way God would deliver us from our captors. There's no way God would rebuild our land because look what we did. But he says, I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it for my name because this is who I am. It was a great thing to come to God and realize he wasn't good to me because I was good. He's good to me because he is good. When I understand his goodness, it all, everything else makes sense. North America is pretty polarized right now. 
But if we asked each other, what, what, would, what would a good nation look like? What do good people look like? We'd have very different answers. Can't even ask that question without people being angry. Because your answer doesn't match theirs. Why are we so confused about something as simple as what good is? Because we can't come up with it. It's only looking at him that we understand what good is. It's only looking at him that we understand what light is and love. I don't want to read this to you because I love this chapter. He says this, Psalm 36, verse 5, Your loving kindness, O God, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to the drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Isn't that awesome? Just think about that for a minute. With you is the fountain of life. What, what do we mean by the fountain of life? That's not some weird thing that Spanish people were looking for in South America that makes them live forever. The fountain of life means every good thing is in Him. Everything you need is in Him. In Him, we live and breathe and have our being. Everything good is in Him. You can't find it outside of Him. We find traces and harmonics of it throughout our universe, but they're just imitations. They're not quite it. He's the source. He's the fountain of life. Then he says, in your light, we see light. It's only in his light that you can recognize light. You got a world out here that says there is no light, there is no dark. There's just nothing but gray. There's no truth. There's no absolutes. How could you say there is? How could you know? And the answer is, I, I couldn't know. And there's a lot I don't know. But I know this, that he is good. And I know this, that he's the creator. Uh, there's times where somebody says, well, why would you believe that? And I would say, look, you're going to have to take it up with him. All I know is this is what he said. This is what he said is, is why we were created. So I believe the man. I believe the God that created me. I believe the one that created me. I believe him. In God is the fountain of life. In his light, we see light. You can't discern what's good without looking at his goodness. Maybe you've tested this out. If you test this out at home, what do you think is good when you're in a place where you, you haven't spent time with the Lord lately? You've been having a rough day. You're pushed to the edge. As somebody finally says something that sets you off. Or you're just... You're just doing something, you know. Here's what I do. I, I, tend to, um, I tend to do things that weren't necessarily, I didn't think were my job to do them. Um, but I don't tell anybody. I just do them mad that no one else is doing it. It's not a path to a good, happy life in your family. Why am I doing the dishes? I cooked. I also did this. I did this. Clank, clank. And every time you clank the dish, it gets heavier. It gets louder. You never mentioned to anyone else that maybe someone else should do the dishes. You never thought that maybe they're doing important things too. 
But my idea of what would be good would, would be that if my family would come and say, you're right, you're so right. We were so wrong. Why didn't we see it your way? We should be doing all of these things. That's my goodness. I'd be terribly wrong, but that would be good for me. But you know, I've learned something. When I get into that place of self-pity or anger or bitterness or jealousy, and we all get in those places, and if I say, you know, I should probably pray right now, I can't look God in the face with a straight face and still think those things. I can't think badly of those that I think badly of. I can't be jealous. I can't be petty. I can't be acting like a little punk. I can't be doing any of those things when I'm standing in his presence and I know what his goodness looks like and I know what his love looks like. His love lays itself down. His love is not selfish. His love is not petty. His love is not jealous. His love is not any of those things. And I go, I want to be like you. And I don't just want to be like you, like a cheap ripoff, like a forgery. I want to be like you because you put your DNA inside me. Through Jesus Christ, I've been born again into a living hope that I, Christ in me is the hope of glory. So there's something inside me that now enables me to be like him. So when he says, be holy like I am holy, that's an impossible ask until he gave you himself. And the Bible says we are partakers of the divine nature. We bear his name. Guys, if his name is supposed to be holy, why would he give it to us? That seems like a bad move. I can't even keep my watch and my phone from getting scratched. What am I going to do to his name? But he does. He says, bear my name. We've done some pretty rotten stuff with it. If you read history. But he still didn't take it away. Jesus said something in John 12. He's getting to the point where he knows he's about to go to the cross. Don't turn there because we'll get to John 17 in a second. But John 12, he, he says, my soul has become troubled for this. This is the time that he's knowing he's going to the cross. And he says, my soul is troubled. But what should I say? He said, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? He said, but it was for this hour that I came. This is the purpose I'm here. So he just says, guys, he, he doesn't know the answer. He doesn't know the end of the, uh, of the question. He just says, Father, glorify your name. Yeah. Sometimes that's what you got to say. Yeah. I don't know how this is supposed to end up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. God, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven says, I have, and I will do it again. Yeah. And there were people that heard it, and there were people that thought they heard thunder, the people that heard it clearly for what it was. But the most important thing was Jesus heard it. He said, okay, all right. His name will be glorified because I'm honoring his name. Jesus said this in John 17. He looked to heaven and he prayed. I'm going to start in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name. The word manifest means to reveal, to uncover. I've, I've, I've fully revealed your name to them. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. 
Guys, if all he was talking about was telling them, here's the secret name you call God. If all he was talking about was just a sound we cry out when we pray, he wouldn't have had to spend three years showing them this name. It would have been over in five seconds. His name is this. Oh, okay. Why didn't anybody tell me? I don't know. It's a secret. No, he said, I, I, for these three years I was with them, I revealed your name to them. What does he mean by that? And the reason we need to answer this question, because this, this is where we're ending up today, because this is the answer you need to ask for yourself. Your, one of your great purposes in life is to manifest the name of God, is to honor the name of God, is to show people who God is. See, because they have ideas of God that are so wrong. If they even believe he exists, it's broken. They believe in a God that doesn't match who Jesus showed us. So you understand every time Jesus healed the blind, every time he, cast, he set somebody free from demonic oppression, every time he brought someone who was about to be stoned to death for their sin and said, I've forgiven you, go and sin no more. Every time he taught people the, the God way to love and, and showed them what it meant to be human, made in the image of God, he was showing them the name of God. He was revealing the name of God. He was saying, this is who God is. Do you understand that there are people he's been preaching to that could recite every name that God has called himself throughout the Old Testament? They can recite hundreds of names, and yet they don't truly know who he is. Right? See, it doesn't matter if you can say, he is Jehovah Tzitkanu, the Lord my righteousness, if you don't really believe he's your righteousness. It doesn't matter if you say he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. If you don't believe he's your provider. It doesn't matter if you say he's Jehovah Rapha. It doesn't matter if you say any of these things or find any name of God. The Lord is my shepherd if you don't trust him with that name. You don't honor that. God wants us to know him and to honor him for who he is. Let me tell you, when you begin to honor God and his name is holy and you say, let his name be revered and honored, when we look up at him and say, that's what light looks like, that's what goodness looks like, we'll know what it's supposed to look like on this earth. When you walk in a room with love that nobody's familiar with, you'll walk into a room with truth that people aren't ready for because you've looked at God and you said, oh, that's what it looks like. I was taught love. I learned love in all the wrong ways. I learned love that wasn't love at all. Some of you thought that love was abusive and selfish and possessive and domineering. Love was about getting what you could get. Love was about, I love you if you make me feel this way. Love was about what I can get from you. But you looked at God and you said, oh, that's what love looks like. As the Bible says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You looked at the cross and you discovered love for the first time. What you had was a moment where you understood his name. God is love. And you could say that all day long. And I've heard people say, well, if God is love, then why do people go to hell? Because what you've done is you've taken what love looks like to you and instead of saying God is love so love looks like God, you've said God is love so God looks like what my version of love looks like. 
When you dig a little deeper, you find out. You don't have to dig deep to find out this at all. God gave everything to take you out of hell. God gave everything to save you. That's on us. How could God send people to hell? How could God send his own son to rescue you from hell? That's love. That's love. I don't believe a loving God would do this. I don't believe a loving God would do this. Listen, your version of love is broken. Look at him. He's love. Love looks like him. He doesn't look like your version of love. So some people say, God loves me, but he loves me as long as I do the right things for him. He loves me as long as I, as I, as I per act perfect. He loves me as long as I look this way or sound this way. And let me tell you, that's not the love we learned. This is what love looks like. Jesus said, I spent all this time uncovering your name, manifesting your name. Everything I did showed them who you were. Listen to this. He said, they were yours and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. They've received them and they truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but on those that you've given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I've been glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Do you see that? Keep them in your name. Keep them in, in who you are. Keep them in that name that is above everything else. Keep them in that. That name you gave me, I gave to them. I'll be honest with you, today, I don't fully grasp that as much as I want to. Ask me, whisper, if you happen to be, Hunter, if you're at my deathbed, I'm picking Hunter because he's younger than me, I hope I live long. I want to live long. So, Hunter, if you're at my deathbed, and I'm an old man, I'm going to see Jesus. Assuming I haven't gone and got my head chopped off somewhere, I'm an old man, I'm going to see Jesus. And you whisper in my ear, do you get it now? I hope I'll have more answers then than I have now. Maybe I'll be able to say, I think I get it a little bit more. But for the rest of my life, I'm chasing this. For the rest of my life, I get to live this out and figure out, like, I don't even know. Uh, it's, it's an endless, like, huge field I'm running in. I'm living in that. I, I, I don't even know the boundaries at the edges of this thing. But God, you're keeping, you gave me your name. I don't, I'm never going to fully get how big that is until I see him face to face. But right now, at this moment, I want to treat it like it's a big deal. Because it sure was a big deal to Jesus. Can I just give you a Bible reading tip? If you're new here, if, you are, if you're a new believer and you're just learning how to read the Bible, or if you've been reading your Bible for, you know, 50, 75 years, let me give you a tip, and I hope it serves you well. When you see something come up over and over again and you don't think it's a big deal, but it seems to be a big deal to them, dig deeper. 
Stop skipping it because it doesn't make sense. The best things don't make sense the first time you read them. Dig deeper. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Ask him to reveal it to you. Live it out. Find out. Because if Jesus keeps bringing something up that I go, I don't know why he keeps saying that. Maybe it's important. If the psalmist keep talking about it. If the prophets keep talking about it, maybe it's a big deal. I want to tell you something. You were here. You were put on this planet to show the world who God is. Amen. God said to his people, the Israelites, he said, I'm going to show my goodness to the world through you. I, the reason he picked them, you might say, well, he needed a seed. He needed, he needed Jesus to come through a line of faith, right? Uh, you're absolutely right. But why did he pick the Israelites? Why was he so good to them even when they were so mean to him? He said, I picked you that I could show the world my kindness. I picked you that I should, could show the world my goodness. I picked you so the world would see my glory. Wow. So maybe that's why you're here. The world would know his name. Maybe you could start praying that prayer even if you don't fully understand it. Lord, I'm waiting for you. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on you. I'm, I'm standing here at your service as your son, your daughter, for your name and your renown are the desire of my heart. I'm going to honor your name as holy. I'm going to treat it different. I'm not going to treat your word as one more opinion. I'm not going to treat your truth as one more truth. I'm going to honor you as the source of everything good. In your light, I see light. In you is the fountain of life. This is why we're here. This is why you're here. It starts to change how I see when it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. It starts to change why his name should be kept holy and not be used in vain. It's amazing. We're more upset when someone uses the F word in a movie than when someone uses the name of our Lord. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to swap one for the other, but I'm saying that something's broken. G-rated movies where they call things holy that are nowhere near holy. So maybe we shouldn't use the world system to figure out what's good and what's bad. Maybe you should decide based on what he says is good. Now, I'm not saying go throughout all your movies. I'm saying let's think about if we really understood the holy, if we really understood what holiness was, we never compare it to something you found in the bathroom. If you really understood how powerful the name of God is, the name of Jesus, you never use it when you hit your thumb with a hammer. It's big. <laughs> On that light note... <laughs> Let's stand up.